Hey, everybody. I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'm a bit of a mess right now. Our CEO and one of my great friends, John Meller, died last week at the age of 49 after battling cancer. Now, you don't listen to this show to hear me drone on about my life's problems. We all have them. They are part of the human experience. But I can't pretend this isn't affecting me. And we are in an era of mental health, awareness, and transparency. So here's the compromise. I'm going to tell the story that I need to tell about Johnny through the lens of the things he has taught me that have changed my life. You will get value out of it, trust me, and get insight into an amazing man, father, friend, and boss. This is going to be completely ad-libbed. I'm not rehearsing any of this. I'm not scripting any of this. I'm not outlining any of this. These are just the things that are going to pour out of me as learning moments from somebody who was relied upon, somebody we all leaned on, somebody we all believed in. Let's jump in. One of the most important things that John taught me is that negotiating isn't a battle. Now, we so often in the sports world, especially, think of everything as conflict and confrontation. And John always brought a love attitude to just about everything and massive transparency. I'm talking about salary negotiation, product negotiations, you know, partnership negotiations, John would come at it from a position of, I know this will work out. We'll get there. So let's just be cool about it. Let's just figure it out. And it was that lack of contentiousness, that lack of angst that made people want to do business with him. You know, there's so many times where he and I would have a contract negotiation because we'd have yearly reviews of my contract situation with work and sports. And he'd started out by saying, look, I hate this, but I love you. And that means the world. That makes you feel like you're part of something that matters. You're part of a family. People respect you. People care about your well-being. And you're like, yeah, you know what? Maybe it's not just about the money. Maybe it's about the environment. Maybe it's about the situation. Maybe it's about the people that I'm surrounding myself with. There's literally nothing that I could have learned more more from Johnny that was more important than that. All right, I'll lighten it up for a second. Nicknames break down barriers. (laughs) Johnny was, (laughs) he loved giving people nicknames. It was like a rite of passage. It was his way of letting you know you were in. You know, uh, his, his, okay, Bobo, Rando, Beige, Killer, Flash. He called me Dr. Clap sometimes. Like there was a, a Clapper was always the obvious one, but sometimes he would just call me up and be like, Dr. Clap, how are you today? And he meant it lovingly. And that just camaraderie, that ability to connect with people. He wasn't a CEO that sat in some office in a corner, isolated. He was us. He was all of us. And that just made you, again, just feel warm, welcome, part of something. Innovate or die, 
you know, we'll get to the creative side a little bit. John, um, he's forever an optimist. He could just see the good in everybody and everything. And he brought that to this concept of innovation. Like it was always like, what else can we be doing? How else can we be developing? You know, what would make the situation better? How do we attract our audience? And it wasn't about, you know, revenue projections and numbers and graphs and whatever. We did that too. But it was more about like, what else? That was the question. We would meet, I'll give you a quick story. We would meet um, four times a year because the work and sports team was this distributed workforce even before coronavirus. I lived far away. We had programming programmers in different areas. Uh, we had staff kind of spread throughout the com- country. Mainly, most of the staff was located in, in Phoenix, including John. And so we'd all come to Phoenix four times a year and we do these business sessions. And as I was joking with the, the staff here at Work and Sports I Hire, you know, they, you'd go in with this intention that it was going to be 75% business and 25%, you know, drinking, laughing, eating, having a good time, right? That was our kind of business meeting model. In reality, it would turn out to be like 50-50. <laughs> you'd be 50% business and 50% the uh, fun stuff, just being together. But in those meetings, it wasn't when we did talk business and we were serious, it wasn't just like, let's run through the numbers. It was, how can we create a way for special needs kids and adults to get placed within sports organizations? Because I think that would really improve their quality of life. Everybody's, everybody's surrounding quality of life. And I, that's the kind of person he was. That he wasn't just focused on the numbers and the revenues and the goals. It was the entire ability of a business to affect positive change. And he did that through innovation. He's an entrepreneur at heart and he really pushed for those things and always was trying to come up with new ideas. And that's something we can all embody. Consider the whole person, another mention that I wanted to have. You know, when John would bring on new staff members, Work and Sports was a small, is a small company. I mean, we had 10, 11, 12 employees most of the time. And the longevity of people staying, I mean, the, the team was like, oh yeah, I've been here 17 years. I've been here 14 years. I've been here 18 years. Uh, most of us had been there for almost a decade. I was like the rookie and I had been there for eight years. And... That was because of loyalty and a sense of community and family and not having that kind of turnover was amazing. But what I wanted to get at with this point is that John didn't just look at his employees as somebody that was an asset, right? You're not just a come in and do this job. It was, how can I help develop this whole person? I was talking with Chris Culp, our graphic des- amazingly talented graphic designer yesterday. And we were just sharing a couple of stories. And he said, I remember when I first started, and I hope Chris doesn't mind me sharing this story. Chris, if you do, I'm sorry, but it's great. He said, he remembered when he first started. Oh, shit, I'm tearing up again. Um, he remembered when he first started that John took him aside and said, I want you to always have a plan B. Here's some of the funds that I invest in. 
Here's some of the ways I set up my accounts. Here's some of the way that I run my finances and just tried to share with Chris how he could set up his family for long-term success. That's considering the whole person. It's not just, you know, you're an asset and you do this job and then you go home. You know, John welcomed people into his house. He helped us all in a myriad of ways, whether it was investing or just being a parent or whether it was, you know, just making decisions and running ideas by him. He was so trusted and believed in that we all went to him. And wouldn't you want to be that person? Wouldn't you want to be the person that people came to and trusted and believed in? You know, you see these images of bosses and CEOs and cracking the whip and, oh, get this, got to get this, projection models, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying none of that stuff is important, but humanity has to come first. And John did that every day. He led with a smile. He hugged a lot. He's six foot five. He's a giant human, right? And, and I, I, I wrote something about this the other day. When John hugged you, you felt it. It lingered. So like I'd get off a plane and he'd come up and he'd just like bear hug you. And it was just like, you felt right away. You felt all of it. You felt all of it. Yeah, he was my boss, but it wasn't like that. Because of that, I would have run through walls for him. I got another quick story. So um, this is just one of my favorites, and I'm just going to lay, lay into it. Um, so we'd go out and have these uh, quarterly meetings with the work and sports team. So there's 10, 11 of us. We've had a full day of sessions, talking about the business, everything like that. And we're at the keg together, laughing, having a good time, big family-style dinner. And John decides he wants to build a playlist. He wants to... Um, have everybody contribute their favorite songs, like the stereotypical "Stranded on a Desert Island." What are you, what is the song you want to hear on repeat? And so it goes around the table, and all kinds of bands are mentioned. I mean, there's there's Neil Young, there's Rock, Rolling Stones, there's Rachmaninoff, there's Lumineers, there's Mumford and Sons, there's Radiohead, there's Eddie Vedder, there's all kinds of things. And then it comes to John's turn, and he says, "Do they know it's Christmas time?" By Band Aid. Now, if you haven't heard that song before, it is from the 80s. It is an all-star collaboration of artists, a who's who of 80s stars. And it's extremely uplifting. And I remember it was like the record scratch where everybody was like, wait, what? (laughs) That's your favorite song? What are we talking about here? And it was just a laugh. You know, everybody goes on. And I went up to him afterwards. We were at the bar and I walked up and I said, so are you being serious with that? Like, what's the story there? And he said... Have you ever heard that song and not smiled? And I was shocked. I was just kind of stunned because it was so real and authentic. But I want to go one layer deeper with this. And this is something I haven't shared because I have shared this with a lot of staff members of our team, that conversation, that story. About three days later, the song I had picked out was a song named Society by Eddie Vedder. And if you've, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit here, so just work with me. If you ever listen to that song, it's about, it's from the movie Into the Wild, and it's about somebody that wants to remove themselves from society because they feel detached from it. And uh, 
John listened to it for the first time after I said it was my favorite song. And he called me two days later and said, I listened to your song. Are you okay? He was worried about me. That's who he was. Okay. I'll clean myself up. Sorry. Um, That's what I mean by a staff member isn't an asset. They're, They're important. They're a member of your family. And when all of you listening, if there's anybody left, when all of you listen and get to that point, remember that. Remember when you have staff, that they are people. Remember that they have good times and bad times. And sometimes just saying, are you okay? Sometimes just saying, how can I help? What can I do? Paying attention to the details. That makes an amazing difference. The next thing that I think of is that as a boss, as a CEO, as a leader, you don't have to know everything. Lean on your people. John never pretended to be more than he was. He had incredible skills and assets and things that he was good at. But he didn't feel the need to be an expert in everything. He would say, what do you guys think? What do you want? What do you think the best course of action is? And that's empowering. That's trusting. That is believing in your people. And when you believe in your people, good things come back. You can't be an expert in everything. You don't have to be an expert in everything. You don't always have to have the right answers. This is something I struggle with still to this day. I always feel like I have to have an answer. That's not really the case. You have to be a good listener, an active listener. You have to know where people's strengths and weaknesses are. You need to be able to spark further conversation, but you don't always have to come up with the solution. Trust your people to do that as well. (sighs) Transparency isn't weakness. You know, again, Sports is this competitive world. Sports is somewhere where, you know, you're stepping on somebody else and you're Charles Barkley in this and you're pushing this person down. And that happens in sports business as well. You know, it happens in the sports media. It happens in all these senses of competition. But being transparent and honest about maybe not being motivated that way, maybe not feeling that's the right way to go about things is not a sign of weakness. Simone Biles is a perfect example of that. It's not weakness. Today has been really stressful. We had a workout this morning, but then once I came out here, I was like, no, mental is not there. So I just need to let the girls do it and focus on myself. It's not. It's not. So being able to share that, be that, accept that is power. There is power in vulnerability. Being able to be honest and transparent and who you really are is powerful. It's not weakness. Finish off with this. John believed that you lead with love. Uh, I brought this attitude from my background. I started out at CNN Sports Illustrated. I worked at Fox Sports Northwest. It was always about crushing the competition. We, we had to beat ESPN. We had to beat this team. We had to outright rate, you know, rank this show. 
And I came, I had that. I had this East Coast. I, I mean, I still do. I will not deny it. I have this East Coast attitude. I'm from Boston. And it's this tough, compete, defeat, grit, grind, work longer, work harder, push, 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 never ask for help mentality. Uh, it's not sustainable. It's not real. It's not. And I'm trying to t- teach myself this too. I have to think of this daily. I'm, I'm still not good at it. But John believed, and I agree with, that you lead with love. You know, like when I came in and was talking about the competition and exactly what we needed to do to beat them and that we should go right after them and compete, compete, compete. He was like, do you think we need to do that to be successful? Because I don't. Do you think there's room for other people in this sector? Because I do. Why can't we just focus on what we can do really well and let things play out? We don't have to go after anybody. And I remember at the time I thought, ugh, this is different. You know? And uh, the longer I sat with that and the longer I thought about it, he was right. And he was really right. I mean, I, I still, they, everybody laughed at me. They still do. I earn it. But even for this podcast, I am constantly thinking about who else out there is better rather than what I've done well or who I've helped. I'm looking at everybody else and saying, why, you know, like beat them. Beat them. Why are they getting more likes? Why are they getting more engagement? Why are they getting more downloads? I was competing constantly. Still am. But these guys would poke me because they knew it was the right way to get me laughing on it too. I'd get all fired up and then they'd just laugh, you know, like, so they'd post with me, like some guy who not a big fan of, but will post something that is stolen from some other person. Like we'll steal a quote and post it out there and it'll get like 10,000 likes. And I'm like, what the, and they know that it would get me upset because I'm so competitively driven, but it was all a joke, right? It was all a joke. It was all like to loosen me up. Because I was always way too intense and still am. But John always kind of believed like, that's not what success looks like. Success isn't dominating. Success isn't knocking other people out of business. It's doing the right things and feeling good about it. Like feeling good about it. John went home every night and I guarantee he had stress points. I'm guaranteed he had to spend time in the books more than I did. And there were other things that were hard and stressed him out or whatever, prevented sleeping at night. But I think he went home at the end of each day saying, I know we made a positive impact on people today. I know we assisted. I know we came up with things that can better everyone. And that's pretty powerful right there. So it's not about beating other people. It's being the best you can. And bringing value. Remember, everybody has different definitions of what success is. I was trying to say this to my daughter the other day as we were talking about this exact subject, about something that she asked me. She's like, well, what did John mean to you? And I started to share some of this stuff and say, like, success is different for everybody. You know, if, if some people are totally driven by money, accomplishment, power, and there's others that are driven by helping or doing their best or feeling empowered. And any leader, it's their job to figure out what those buttons are in each individual and figure out what success looks like to each person. And that's not easy to do. 
But if you lead with love first and understanding and trying to just be the best that you are and not worried about so much about everybody else out there, that picture becomes a lot clearer. I have more. I could share on this. I could do this for a long time, but you know, I think, I think my goal is that you got a little bit of a learning experience and you also got some of the flavor of John, John Meller, who has three young daughters and a wonderful wife and an amazing family who are hurting right now. When this episode publishes, I will be at his funeral on Monday. And that hurts a lot. But his legacy will live because he affected so many of us. I truly believe this is where I'll get all creepy for a second. If you've ever seen the movie Coco, which I just adore, there's a concept in their culture that um, as long as you remember someone, their spirit lives on. And if that's the case, John's spirit will live on for eternity because no one will forget him. Thank you for indulging me through this. I'm sorry if this was not the norm, but I hope that you still were able to get some value out of it. We will keep producing great content. It does matter to me very much that I'm honest with you all listening. So that's why I did this today. Um, thanks at all. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it.